Well, hey, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump right into the message today. We are in Luke chapter 5. We are continuing our series as we kind of journey through the Gospel of Luke and get to know Jesus through uh, Luke's eyes. We're in this section we're calling In the Public Eye. Because it's the first moment, it's the first series of events where Luke has kind of launched Jesus out into public and now the crowds and the masses are getting a taste for who he is and, and what his kingdom is all about and who he has come for and, and the people and sorts of things that God cares about through Jesus. And so today we are looking at two amazing stories where Jesus interacts with people that you might not expect and as he does so, he reveals some things about who he is and who he cares for and what ultimately his kingdom and ministry are about. And so we jump right in. Luke chapter 5, we pick it up in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. All right, as we kind of launch into this next section, right away, Luke tells us that Jesus is suddenly approached by this man who has leprosy. And this is significant because leprosy was a very serious disease. It made a very specific and intense statement to people who would have read this in the first century and understood about leprosy. Leprosy was a progressive disease. It was something that didn't just sit dormant. It grew and spread and over time slowly took over and consumed an entire a person's entire body. Uh, leprosy generally started on the face. It appeared first as, as like a white or, or light pink patch of skin. And then it began to spread out over the body in all directions. Now, most of us, when we think of leprosy, we think of a skin disease because that's where you see leprosy. That's where it shows itself. But leprosy is actually a disease that attacks a person's nerve endings. It shows up initially on the face, like I said, but then the nerve ending, endings of the extremities get attacked. And this causes a clawing effect on the limbs and a regression of the skin and what seems to be almost a withering away of a person's toes and fingers and nose and ears. Leprosy was a horribly disfiguring disease. It created... Uh, pussing sores that were open and kind of uh, leaky all over a person's face and over their entire body at times. Another thing about leprosy, you didn't really feel it. Because it was a disease that attacked the nerve endings and deadened, deadened the nerve endings, it, was, it wasn't particularly painful as it advanced. In fact, it's one of those diseases that that looks a lot worse than it feels. And so you, we've all had injuries and they all kind of fall into two different camps. Sometimes you get hurt and it looks a lot worse than it feels. Sometimes you get hurt and it feels a lot worse than it looks, right? And so you can kind of have an injury in one of the... Just yesterday I was throwing baseball with my son and he's, he, he's decided that he wants to be a pitcher. And so he's constantly saying, Dad, let me pitch. And this used to be fun a few years back. 
and he would just throw the ball in there nice and gentle like and now that he's getting bigger and stronger and he wants me to squat down and he wants to fire this baseball at me it's a little bit like taking your life into your own hands and and just yesterday he skipped one off the concrete and it tagged me right in the shin and hurt like the dickens and this morning I woke up and I kind of like hobbled into the bathroom all stiff and I looked down at my leg and there's not even anything there it does not look like anything happened to me but I'm telling you I'm injured today on Father's Day so it, it hurt worse than it looked not how not the case with leprosy leprosy looks worse than it feels in fact one of the big problems with leprosy was that the person with it often couldn't feel pain. They, they couldn't tell and they, they lose the sensation in their limbs to tell when they're touching something sharp or hot or damaging to their flesh. And this just results in further injury and then infection and more disfiguration. Again, all of these things made leprosy a hideous and dreaded disease. But perhaps the worst part of all when it comes to leprosy was the fact that it's contagious. Leprosy is a contagious disease. You see, when you got leprosy, you were not only condemned to die a slow, certain death. One scholar called it death by inches. You were also sentenced to a life of complete exclusion and isolation. This was a disease that that you would have to live with, and you would have to live with it alone. There were strict laws forbidding lepers from even touching or going near another person. They were always banished. As soon as you were decreed by by one of the priests or one of the synagogue leaders to, to be cursed with leprosy, you were banished to live outside of town, outside of the community, by yourself or at best in one of the, the leper colonies. You were required to wear torn clothes, to keep your hair unkempt, and to keep your face covered. And if you ever were to encounter someone out on the road as they approached you, you must call at the top of your voice, Unclean! unclean to let them know not to come near. Josephus, who's this first century historian who writes about kind of what was happening in the Middle East during the first century, he says this, lepers were to be treated as dead men. And the rabbis said that, that next to touching a dead body, getting near a leper was the rankest form of defilement just made you unacceptable as a person. These were completely unacceptable people and you could not be near them or you too would become unacceptable. Leprosy was one of the most humiliating, shameful, disgraceful conditions a person could find themselves in. And right away, as Luke sets the stage for this encounter, he tells us that we meet a man, that Jesus meets a man, not just with a little bit of leprosy, Not just the beginning stages of this advancing disease, but this man who approaches Jesus, Dr. Luke says, is covered with leprosy. We can only imagine how repulsive this guy looked. This is the man who has been dealing with this disease and living this way for probably some time now. We don't know, but it's probably been quite a while since he lost his job and his family and his home, and his friends, and his entire life was taken from him. How long has he been living in utter seclusion? We do not know, but we do know this. This guy is so desperate that he is willing to risk it all. You see, to be in town, Luke tells us that's where Jesus is when this guy comes along, to approach 
someone, to go even into town and then to approach someone, especially a famous rabbi in this way, it was absolutely an unacceptable thing and was punishable by death. It was punishable by stoning. You see, if you were a leper and you were to do something like this and expose other people and risk the infection of the general population, that was a, an offense worthy of death. But maybe for this guy... Maybe for him in this moment, things have gotten so bad that to die would have actually been a relief. And so into town he comes, searching for this man who he has heard might be Messiah, who he has heard is a healer and one who has power even over disease. And then listen to his question as he falls on his face and begs Jesus. Here is what he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. You see, it's not just the healing that he wants. It's the cleanness. He wants to be clean again. He wants to be acceptable again. He wants to no longer be repulsive and gross and hideous and alone because of what this disease has done to him. And Jesus responds in verse 13. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Friends, this interaction and this incident begs this question. What is it about us that is so scared to bring the ugliest and most grotesque parts of our lives to God? What is it about us that tends to hide from God that does not want him to see the parts of us that are unacceptable. You see, down deep, I believe that so many of us have been fooled into believing this. God doesn't want to know. God doesn't want to see. God doesn't want any part of the ugliness of our souls. You see, I think far too often we buy into this lie. God really... He only wants the good stuff. He only wants the good people. He only wants to interact with the polished folks. He only wants the Sunday best version of you. You know, there's a sermon I heard a long time ago about worship, and I'll never forget it. I was a young man, college age, and the pastor was preaching. Good pastor, good intentions. And he said, here's what worship is. He said, worship is when we come into church on Sunday morning and we take all of our problems and all of our struggles and all of our junk and all of our sin and we take that stuff and we put it underneath the chair and then for an hour we forget about that stuff and we worship the living God. Friends, I think that's absolutely wrong. I do not think that is the message of the gospel. I certainly do not think that is the message of Jesus because worship, at least for Jesus, at least for Luke in this moment, is when you come to God and you grab all that junk, all that sin and all that corruption and all that stuff, and instead of sticking it under your chair, you lift it up and you say, God, here's my stuff, here's my junk, here's who I am. I give it to you. That, my friends, is worship. You see... In this story, Luke shows us that more than anything, Jesus wants to touch the corrupt, disfigured, rank, and repulsive parts of you. He, he tells us that if you will show Jesus your sin, he will reach out and touch you. He will accept you. He might cleanse you in a way that you can't even imagine. Here's a question for you this morning, church. 
got any pussy, disfigured, wretched stuff in your life that you need to let Jesus touch today? Got any sin that you've been tempted to tuck underneath the pew or hide deep in your heart that God just really wants you to to pull out and expose and hand over to him? Greed, anger, lust, laziness, judgment, selfishness, self-righteousness, indulgence, bitterness, envy, jealousy, the list goes on. God does not want you to hide it. He says, bring it to me. Anything in your life today that is just secretly and slowly advancing, corrupting, keeping you from being and becoming the person God created you to be. You see, when you think about it, leprosy is actually a pretty good picture of sin, isn't it? It just slowly takes over. It just disfigures you along the way. It isolates you from God and from others as it advances. And so often, far too often, you don't even feel what it's doing to you. See, that's leprosy, but that's also sin. Maybe this is why in in Jesus' day, leprosy was very strongly associated with sin. In fact, it was thought to be a curse from God. If you had leprosy, God had cursed you probably for some secret evil sin in your life. And I believe this is why Jesus says to this man exactly what he says to him next. Verse 14, Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Jesus asked this guy not to tell anyone. Does anyone else read that and go, what? That's not what they told me in Sunday school, right? Jesus always wants us to tell and share and spread the news, right? Not here, not with this guy. He says, don't tell anyone. Instead, you go to the priest and you offer the sacrifices, these sacrifices that Jesus implores this this healed and cleansed leper to offer are sacrifices about the forgiveness of sin through the shedding of blood. You see, what what Jesus is driving at here, the point he is trying to make, the message he is trying to send is that He has not just come to heal physical infirmities. He has not just come to restore people back into society, but that his main objective, his primary aim, his chief goal is to cleanse the world of sin and to restore humanity to a right relationship with God. You see, it goes so much further than what we see in the here and now. Don't get too hyped up about your physical healing, Jesus tells this guy. Don't get too focused on telling people about what I did for your body. You go. You make sure that things are right in your heart between you and God. That is ultimately what I'm about. That is actually what I long for you to experience. You see, what Jesus can do for your soul is exponentially more significant than what he can do for your life. So often we come for Jesus and we say, Jesus, fix my life. Do this for my life. Fix all these problems that I'm having. Heal me, change me, fix me. Do it for me and my friends and my family and everyone I know. And Jesus wants to go so much farther than that. What he can do for your soul, what he can do for your relationship with God, what he can do for your eternity is so much greater and more significant than what he can do for your physical life. And yet so many of us stop there.
It says in verse 15 that in spite of Jesus' command, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You could probably preach an entire sermon on those two verses, but I'll offer you this. Friends, do the stresses and demands of life push you towards God or keep you from him? Do the stresses and demands of your life push you towards God or keep you from him? When your life gets crazy, when things get hectic, when when work and family and activities start to overwhelm you, is your prayer time the first thing to go? Or does your prayer time rise to the surface as the thing that sustains you and fuels you and gives you what you need to face this world? You see, Jesus tells this man that ultimately what he needs above everything else, is a cleansed and restored relationship with God. And then we see that Jesus Jesus actually lives this way himself. That's what fuels him. That's what empowers him. His connection with the Father. Is that true of you? Verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. See, now now Luke has moved us on to story number two. The popularity of Jesus is growing. Word about him is spreading. And there is this concern about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And it has reached a level of uneasiness for the religious community. They need to check up on Jesus now. Need to make sure that he's following the plan, that he's fitting into their program, that he's not contradicting what they are teaching. And so Luke tells us that they've all come. They've come all the way from Judea. They've come all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to Galilee, out into the sticks to check out Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. A few questions for you to consider here. Here's the first one. Got any friends who will carry you to Jesus when you can't get to him on your own? I'll ask it again. Got any friends who will carry you to Jesus when you can't get to him on your own? I hope you do. Because sometimes, here's the truth, the sin and struggles of our lives are too big and too complicated for us to deal with by ourselves. And we, all of us, just need a few friends who will carry us to Jesus. Got any friends like that? Got any friends who understand your struggles? who understand your personal difficulties, who have access to the challenging, sinful parts of your life? Got any friends who are willing to to pick you up and carry you to Jesus when you just can't get there by yourself? I'll say this to you, church. Those kind of relationships, they won't just happen. They don't just materialize. You don't all of a sudden wake up one morning and discover, wow, I've just got friends like that. I do not know how it happened. It will not happen that way. 
It does not happen just because you come and sit in a pew and listen to me, myself and Pastor Matt. No, there is no magic formula. You have to decide, this is what I want. This is what God wants for my life. I am going to seek this out. It's going to require you to be transparent. It's going to require you to be honest. It's going to require you to lay down your pride and stop trying to impress people just for a little bit. It's going to require of you a level of vulnerability that maybe you haven't experienced before. But friends, let me tell you this. As hard as it is to form these kinds of friendships, it's worth it. It's worth it to have friends like this. Got any friends who will carry you to Jesus when you can't get there on your own? Second question, kind of the flip side, are you a friend like that? Are you this kind of a friend? Or maybe another way of asking this question is, who are you in this story? What character do you most resemble? Listen, Luke tells us there are, this is how Luke tells the story. He says, there are so many religious people packed around Jesus that they are actually preventing this guy who desperately needs to get to Jesus from getting to him. All the religious people standing and listening and gawking are preventing the guy who actually needs to get to Jesus from getting to him. And so the question that kind of begs to be asked is this, who are you in this story? If you were to take an honest assessment of your life right now, are you more like one of the religious people just standing and watching Jesus such that other people can't get through or, or... Are you like one of these friends who is carrying this mat and desperately trying to get someone else to him? Cedar Mill Bible Church, let me just offer you something that you're actually pretty good at. I'm so impressed with you, so proud of you. I'm learning from you since I've been here, but I will implore you um, even more. Let us not, as a church, just pack together and huddle around Jesus such that no no one else can get to him. Instead, let's us determine to be mat carriers. I want to be a mat carrier, not a religious huddler. I want to be someone who leaves the crowd and goes and finds the guy who needs to meet Jesus and helps carry him to him. That's who I want to be. You know what? Naturally, if I just sort of make no choice about it, I'll just confess to you, I'll just be a huddler. I'll just stand. I'll just stand and listen and take up another seat, block the way of someone else. But friends, that's not who God has called us to be as a church. Got anyone in your life you are trying to carry to Jesus right now? I mean, specifically... Don't be vague about this. You either do or you don't. You're either being intentional about trying to pick up someone on their mat and carry them to Jesus, or you're not. Or you're not. Are you praying for anyone? Are you talking to anyone? Are you loving on anyone? Are you inviting anyone to church or showing the love of God to anyone intentionally in your life right now? Or, or are you just standing and blocking someone's way? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend... Your sins are forgiven. Now we'll come back to the first part of that statement in a bit. I want to focus on the statement Jesus makes here. And honestly, I think this is maybe just me. This is kind of the the Dave International version here just for a minute. But this is how I'm choosing to believe that this passage goes down. Honestly, I think it's got to be a little bit of a letdown for these guys. 
what happens right here in the middle of the story. I think they're a little bummed out all of a sudden. I mean, if you think about what they've been through, if you consider all the work of going to find your friend and gathering your buddies and then carrying his mat and working and pushing your way through the crowd and then not being able to get there and then climbing up the back stairs of the house onto the roof and then peeling back the tiles and then digging through the thatch and then lowering him down. And the whole reason you've done all this work, all put forth all this effort is because you have heard the stories. This is the guy who heals people. This is the guy who makes lepers clean. This is the guy who makes sick people well. And now, after all this work, you finally have your paralyzed buddy down in the midst of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And you can cut the anticipation with the knife. And and you look down and you see on your friend's face, maybe for the first time in a long time, this little glimmer of hope. And then Jesus cuts the silence with these words, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder if they thought, what? (laughs) Huh? Did he miss it? I mean, Jesus, the sin thing, that's cool and all, and that sounds all spiritual, but I don't know if you noticed, but the dude can't walk. (laughs) Like, he needs more than just that. I can only imagine that this group of friends in this moment might have just been slightly disappointed. But guess what, friends? Right now, Jesus isn't talking to them. What Jesus says here sends a very clear message to all the religious people who have gathered, and they catch exactly what he's saying. They know exactly what he's up to in these words. It says this in verse 21, The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves... Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The word blasphemy here is just a word that means speech that is slanderous or injurious or reproachful to God. This claim of yours, Jesus, they're thinking, that insults God. How dare you even insinuate that you are on his level. You are on his turf and no one is allowed on God's turf. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now this is an interesting question. I I asked myself this question this week, all week, and kept back and forth, back and forth. It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? I mean, what's the right answer? What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? It's kind of hard, right? I mean, you're thinking like, because your sins are forgiven, that's something only God can do. That's a pretty huge statement, but it's also pretty gutsy to say to a paralyzed guy who's never walked in front of an entire group of people, get up and walk. I mean, it's like one of those moments where everyone's going to know in that instant, is this guy a fraud or not? And so Jesus poses it to him. What's easier to say here? And I guess after thinking about it a bit, you'd have to say, well, it's a little more risky to say, get up and walk. Because now everyone's going to know, everyone's going to see right then and there how much power, how much authority you really have. But I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. 
Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, I included this in the first service. It's not in my notes, but I just can't pass it up as I stand up here. Their response at the end of this, it seems so anticlimactic to me. I mean, just imagine the scene. Imagine what has happened. Imagine standing there and watching this thing go down and then walking away and going, we have seen remarkable things today. Like, cool show, Jesus. Catch you next time. It just seems like they've missed it. I actually think they do miss it. They miss the significance of what has just happened in their midst. They miss the significance of who stands before them. Oh, man. But the real question is this. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus first cleanse this leper and then heal this paralyzed man? What's his motive? Is it... Is it because he loves them so much? No. I mean, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he loves them so much. But that's not why he does it. That's not what Luke says. Is it, is it because he's so compassionate? Jesus is so, he's so compassionate towards people who are in pain and hurting and disadvantaged in this world. Is that why he does it? No. I mean, Jesus is compassionate and he loves people who are in pain and hurting and suffering in this world. He, his, he always extends to them. Always. And he calls us to do the same. But that is not why Luke tells us he does these things. Luke tells us that Jesus does this to send a very clear message. One final point as we close today. You'll notice if, if you read closely, if you just go back and reread these two episodes... Who does Jesus direct his message to in both of the incidents? Who's sort of the, like, who at the end of the story is supposed to really catch the message? Who does Jesus say, I really want you, particular crowd that's there, to listen up and understand what I'm about? Who's he talking to? Yeah, he's talking to these religious people. The religious people of the group, the religious people of the community are who Jesus is actually speaking directly to. It's the, it's the good church-going folk that Jesus is addressing here, friends. You see, in story number one, Jesus cleanses the leper and then he says, go show yourself to the priest. Why? Why go show yourself to the priest? And he tells us, because he wants this guy's cleansing to be a testimony to them. A testimony to the priests. A living illustration that Jesus alone can do what religion never can. Then in story number two, Luke points out to us very explicitly, he spends a lot of time talking about this group of religious people that have come onto the scene. And then these guys come with this mat and this friend and this miracle happens. And Jesus spends very little time talking to them, addressing them. You know, the, the story often gets hijacked when we tell the story. It's all about these friends and their faith and all these things. And Jesus certainly mentions their faith. But he goes right back to talking to who? At the end of the story, the whole last section of the story, he's talking to the religious people again. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then in verse 24, he actually makes a very explicit statement why he does these things. Here's what he says. He's done these things. Why? I want you to know, he says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, I want you, good, cleaned up, polished up religious people, to know that who can forgive sins and how you get your sins forgiven and how you get cleansed and made right with God, it comes not from your religion, but only from me. 
You see, religion won't get it done. Religion won't cut it. Religion will never be enough to cleanse us from our sin and forgive us for all that we've done. Only Jesus can do this. And he offers this message to these religious people because they, like us, so often come with our lists and our credentials and our good deeds and our resumes. And we say, God, here I am. I look pretty good. I've done all this stuff. I'm all shiny and sparkly and pretty. You should probably accept me because this, 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 and this. And you know what Jesus says? That stuff is worthless. It's worthless. Who does he accept in both of these stories? The unacceptable. He accepts the leper, the outcast, the one who has nothing to trust in except for Jesus himself. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and he says, ultimately, I have nothing to offer you, Lord. There's nothing pretty or shiny or polished about me at all. The only hope I have is in you. This paralyzed guy, he can't even get to Jesus on his own. He can't even get there without, you know, four buddies hauling him up the back stairs and lowering him down through the roof. His only hope is in Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Your faith. The fact that you've put your trust in me. Not in religion. Not in some system. Not in a list of good deeds or good works. You've put your faith in me. And because of that, you've been cleansed. You've been forgiven. You've been made right with God. You see, friends, that's the gospel. Take your credentials, take your rules that you've been keeping and your good deeds that you've been accumulating, wad them up and toss them aside and come to Jesus understanding who you are, understanding that the sin that plagues your souls deforms you the way that leprosy deformed that leper in that town. And you take that sin, you take those struggles, and you hold them up to God, and you say, God, here's what I've got. I've got nothing, and will you accept me? And Jesus reaches out his hand every single time, and he says, I touch you, I receive you, I love you. Not because of you, but because of me. That's our God. That's the gospel. We are not religious people. We are followers of Jesus. We're going to close this service today, and we're going to remember that by coming to the table. The table that declares and reminds us and proclaims is because of his death and his body that was broken and his blood that was shed that I am made right with God, not because of anything I've done, because of what he did for me, period. Search your heart today. Ask God if there's any murky, pussy stuff that you need to offer up to him. And then when you're ready, as the worship team plays, just come forward and take the bread and the juice and go back to your seat and receive it on your own when you're ready. But let's remember why we're cleansed, why we're redeemed, why we're made right with God. It's because of him, not us. Amen.